0: Welcome to the mini break, your day podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, January 6th. Let's get into it. What a fantastic opening week to the 2024 season it has been. It's been one of my themes of the week here on this show. Every player's looked the part. They all look reinvigorated. They all look renewed. They all look inspired to start the season, and that's treated us to a very high level of tennis to begin the new year. Certainly set Sets up a spectacular championship Sunday for all of us tennis fans to enjoy. And on today's show, what I want to do for all of you listeners is set the scene for that championship Sunday, just in case you missed out on any of that late night action. The headline over the last 24 hours belongs to United Cup. The 2024 abbreviated formatted version of the event, I think it's killed it. Throughout the course of this week, certainly was fun to have some sudden death mixed doubles last night. And ultimately, it was a third set deciding breaker that went into overtime that propelled Germany forward past Australia. But of course, a couple of spectacular singles matches in that one. Angie Kerber getting her first big win. Alex Diemenauer continuing his top 10 hardcourt form to start a new year want to break down all the mechanics of that 2-1 decision that ultimately went the way of Germany. Of course, I got to talk Poland as well. They're the favorites entering the final. Both Hubi, Iga, they've looked the part of number one for a country. For Hubi last night, it was patience that propelled him forward over Adrian Mannarino. For Iga Sviantek, she did something, dare I say, she struggled with throughout the course of 2023, something we did not see a lot of from her last season, despite her ending the year as world number one. What was that thing? Well, I will get into that on today's show as we talk about United Cup. And then we got to break down our four tour-level events. I mean, we have Sabalenka versus Rabakina, week number one, championship Sunday number one of the season. That's your reigning Australian Open final. They're going to play in a warm-up event in the lead-up to this year's Aussie Open. And look, they have clearly... Been the two best players in the field in Brisbane. Both looked exceptional in straight set wins over and Skova, respectively, will break down the mechanics of that. I'll talk about something I've never seen from Marina Sabalanka that she pulled off last night as well. And then, of course, preview their finals. That promises to be a fun one. Auckland's gonna be fun too. Coco Goff. Oh my god. She's just been a different level than everyone in the field. And I think earlier this week I said I disagreed with Jeff Sackman's tennis abstract forecast that had her above 60% to start the week, I was wrong. She has been that much better, even than her opponent in the finals, Alina Svitolina, who looked good in a three-set win yesterday over Wang Shiyu, but oh my god, was Coco just a different level than an Emma Navarro, who I thought played really well last night, We'll talk about Auckland, set up that final. Then we'll get into the men's side of things. Obviously, Brisbane, no Rafael Nadal in the final. still number one versus number two. Grigor Dimitrov playing top eight tennis. He gets another straight set victory. He'll take on Holger Runa, who is certainly looking like the version of himself that was a top five player throughout the course of the first half of last season. He's into the finals as well. We'll set up that one. We'll talk Hong Kong, Battle of the Ruse. It'll be Rublev versus Rusevori. Clean up all that challenger WTA 125K action we've kept an eye on as well all of that said before we do We're nearing the end of our 2024 college tennis preview. If you are interested in getting involved in that level of the sport, and I highly recommend you do, go check out our Great Shot podcast feed. We've previewed our top 10 teams. We're down to our top team on the women's side, still two to go on the men's side. But again, that'll wrap up next week. And then we can start covering some tennis. They had some action over the course of this weekend. No duel matches, but again, some hidden duels or some individual play across the board to get all those players calloused up before the start of a new season. Again, we'll have coverage all season long across various platforms that I will be sure to plug over the course of the next many months here on the Mini Break podcast feed. So, Start getting interested, folks. You might as well, right? Again, you can learn more by going to the Great Shot Podcast feed. And as always, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our CR YouTube channel. We appreciate all of you who have already. And if you're looking for more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets, you want to message me directly. I'm at Al Gruskin on Twitter Of course, a thank you to our friends at Tennis Point as well, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. All right, let's get into it, and let's start with United Cup. We'll go through the Poland result quickly because that was much more straightforward. Two singles victories for Poland to advance to the United Cup final. I said it at the start of the week. They're the favorites. The moment you saw Hubi and Iga beat someone 0-0 in mixed doubles, you think that plus Ega, there's your pathway to two points in every match. It's the clearest max match calculus, excuse me, that any team has available to them. And that's why when Hooby beat Manarino, you could pack the bags, start the plane. That match was over. And look, the... Biggest compliment I can offer Hercats following his victory, again, for those of you that didn't catch it, it was a 6-3-7-5 victory for Hubie. It was the patience he displayed. He didn't let Adrian Manorino bait him into forcing the issue in. Again, Manorino is never going to force the issue. Manorino is very much a reactive player. He sees your pace. He absorbs it. He redirects it. He wants to bait you into opening up the angle so that he can flatten one by you and just, again, hit you with that unexpected pace and that unexpected depth. Hoopy never fell for it. Hoopy was extraordinarily patient in this match, waiting for that right short ball to change direction on or throw a slice in behind, move forward behind, and that he was dominant on serve. And the biggest compliment you can give who throughout the course of his matches, he's three and one this week wins over Sabathville, Jung Zhe-Zhen and Adrian Manorino in each of those matches. When he got up breaks, he protected those breaks so extraordinarily well. Again, Didn't face a break point against Adrian Manorino. Went up that break in the first set. You knew that set was over. And again, bided his time so well, was putting backhand returns in play, wasn't trying to overextend on the forehand wing, was connecting on the forehand line well. That's a trend we've seen continue over from the end of last season kuby has been really good over the last six months, really since the start, I would say, of Wimbledon when he made that round of 16 run uh, in 2023 before losing to Djokovic. You look for him during this stretch of time, again, since the start of Wimbledon last season. Not only, of course, has he had the Shanghai Masters victory, where, again, he beats guys like Rublev, like Korda, albeit not the toughest draw, but during this stretch now, he's 26-10. and 10. Overall, if you include those three and one record at Wimbledon, if you want to just say twenty five and nine on the hard courts since then, fine. But again during that stretch, semifinals of Cincy, title in Shanghai quarterfinals in Paris. Now uh, the final, by the way, in Basel as well. Now again, a 3-1 run for him in United Cup. He hasn't played any top 20 players uh, thus far, and he did have the three-set loss to Davidovich Fokina, but he's serving extraordinarily well. He's faced one break point over the course of his last two matches, and again, it's the patience with which he's playing. He is not forcing the issue in any of the matches, and thus the error count is not as high as it can get when things start to leak for Hoopie, particularly on that forehand wing. Again, he's so solid, so smooth backhand side, and he played Manorino even, Manorino forehand to the Hurkats backhand, maybe even beat him off that wing. Again, the serve was the most dominant weapon on the court, and he brings that every match. Really nice performance from Hurkots for a 3-5 and five victory, and again, once you're down 1-0 to Poland, I don't know how you're going to beat them twice between Iga and Iga and Hoopie, and You know, again, it's a credit to Caroline Garcia. She came out swinging so aggressively, and it's the second consecutive time because Iga's on, what, a 14, 15, 16-match win streak? I think it's a 14-match win streak. I'll go look it up here now in a moment. But during this stretch of time, only one player has taken a set off of her. And it's Caroline Garcia, who does, to her credit, get another set off of Svantec in this match, gets the one break of serve in that opening set, able to hold the rest of the way to take the first set 6-4. But again, after that, Iga Svantec able to pull away in the match 4-6, 6-1, 6-1. Yeah, during this stretch of time, since losing to Kuda Matova in Tokyo, she has dropped a set to just one player. And that player is Caroline Garcia twice. Now with this one, let's see, 3-6 plus the 5 in Cancun is 11. Yeah, it's 14 or 15 consecutive wins for Svantec. Whatever it is at this point, she's balling out. And she's dropped two sets during that stretch of time. Just two sets. Again, I'll get the official number here, courtesy of our friends at Opta. Ace. And as you all can tell, no West off quite yet. We'll have him back tomorrow. That is a guarantee, a promise. Fifteenth consecutive victory. Garcia, the only one to get sets off of her during that time. So she's thirty and two in her last thirty-two sets. Fifteen consecutive victories for Iga. It confirms the theory. She's number one in the world. She is certainly looking the part. And again, she just had Garcia in the torture chamber in sets two and three. Got her stretched to the outer third. Was moving so well in and out of the corner. Started hanging her forehand even more decisively into all different locations as well. Sviantek was excellent. She looked the part. Again, Garcia played elite with elite aggression. She wasn't able to sustain that over the course of three sets because if you, and if you can't sustain that level, you're just not going to beat Iga. Again, three-set victory for Sviantek to clinch the two-love victory for Poland. Ultimately, they won the mixed doubles as well, but as the kids say, that one was just four S's in G's. The second match was by far the more intriguing of the two affairs. Ultimately, Germany, a 2-1 victory that comes down to, I think, a 15-13 or 16-14 mixed doubles tiebreaker. And Look, again, why did it come down to that mixed breaker? Because Alex Diemenauer had himself a day. Let's start there again. First, it was Djokovic. Now, demon 5 6-3, 6-4 six, six, victory over Sasha Zverev. He got up an early break in the third, never looked back. He is hitting his forehand so Decisively, and that's the biggest difference because obviously you look for Demon Hour, the speed has always been there. That's nothing new, and yeah, it was on display yesterday. Of course, it was. It always is when he's on this surface. But he faced just one break point against a guy who I think pretty clear cut is one of the five best, ten best returners we have in the men's game in Sasha Zverev. And Demon faced just th- uh, four break points throughout the course of the match. He was broken just once throughout the course of that one, and The moment he captured that momentum, capturing the second set, starting to pull away, he just played with more authority than Zverev did, and again, was so confident behind his plus-one forehand, was so confident using his speed, beating Zverev to the spot. Obviously, was able to extend rallies extraordinarily well. I thought he was driving through the backhand, again, with renewed power, renewed depth, He's just an elite athlete, and it's trickled into every part of his game, even if the technique will never be exactly what you want it to be. And yeah, he'll still pop a ball up short, but he's able to recover, obviously, as well from that position as anyone on tour Turn defense into offense extraordinarily well. He can flatten the forehand out behind it. And again, the Australian Open is played in Australia, and this guy feeds off that home crowd, fed off his team environment as much as anyone played it elite tennis down the home stretch because Zverev didn't play poorly he played passively which so frequently happened when nerves trickle into a Sasha Zverev big match but Hour punished him for that tentativeness and i didn't know if Hour could find that gear against this caliber of an opponent and he certainly did Three-set win for Demon. Again, really sound United Cup for him. Yes, he loses his first match 7-6 in the third to Cam Norrie. How does he back it up? 4-2 over Fritz, 4-4 over Djokovic, 5-7, 6-3, 6-4 over Sasha Zvira. That is as impressive of a week number one as we will see from anyone in the men's game. I know he's not going to end up with the title, obviously, Australia eliminated, but He's just moving so well, and he's hitting the forehand again. So far this week, he faced 10 total break points. He was broken two times in four matches. Even in losing to Cam Norrie, he was broken just once. Broken once by Zverev. Didn't face a break point against Djokovic. Lost just one point behind his first serve in that match. Went unbroken against Taylor Fritz, who, by the way, ain't too shabby of a returner either. That's a ridiculous week for the Demon. And again, this is a guy who was top five in hardcore victories last year. A guy who did make the... Canada final, excuse me, at the 1,000 level event. And again, who were his losses to at the hardcourt majors last year? In Australia, he loses to Djokovic 2-1-2, but a loss to Djokovic in the round of 16 in, at the U.S. Open four set loss to Medvedev. He lost to arguably the two best hardcourt players of 2023 last year at the majors. Now, again, He's going to be ranked a little higher this year going in. He's going to be a top 16, top 15 guy, hopefully even a top 12, 11 guy. Can he maybe draw a Pass or, you know, again, a Rublev and give one of those guys a run before he'd have to face a, a top-tier hard quarter in a quarterfinal? And even then, with a the home crowd behind him, we just saw him beat Djokovic. We just saw him beat Zverev. What a week for Alex Diemenauer. The sort of week he needs, a a kind of prove-it week that to himself, all right, I know I can beat lesser opponents on these hard courts, but I can hang with the big dogs here as well. Now, three out of five is a different monster, but again, he's coming out of this United Cup, feeling as confident as anyone in his game. He obviously was able to extend the match for Australia after Angelique Kerber, 4-6, 6-2, 7-6. How about that for your first victory? for Germany of this United Cup event. And look, she was down a match point in that breaker, ultimately able to grind her way back. And for what it's worth, I say she was down a match point. She was also up a break for much of that third set. So it really was a seesaw affair. Ultimately, Kerber, 9-7, takes the third set breaker. Look, the second serve is hanging Chad. It is just up there to be poached away for any bold enough returner to take that free swing. And against a Sabalenka, against a Rabakina, even against a Nascova or... You know, again, some of these players with clear-cut top 25 weapons, that serve is going to be an issue for Angelique Kerber, but she still comes over the top of the return extraordinarily well, can still extend points in the outer thirds, and is so fluid there. Uh, Once that rally gets started, she's going to have some trouble holding serve, though, against the league competition. There's no doubt about it. That said, you know, again, Tom some nerves trickled in, started to let her off the hook a little bit in set number three and just got a little bit tentative on some of those return cuts. And that's what the physicality of Angelique Kerber has always introduced into her matches and that injection of doubt into her opponents where, yeah, I should probably take the big swing here, but you never want to open up an angle for Angelique Kerber because she's going to beat you to the spot and smack one down, uh, smack one by you, change of direction, whatever wing it may be. What a huge moment for Kerber to to deliver for her country that singles rubber and then come right back out on court. Uh, Excuse me, not come right back out on court, uh, but again, able to extend the match there. And then I guess... To come back out on court in that mixed doubles, it was just it was really good tennis because I thought Ebden and Storm Hunter played a really sound match. They were feeding off of the crowd. They were closing so well, capitalizing on perhaps the baseline positioning of Zvirov, who was the least comfortable probably of the four players moving forward. And yet, when he needed to move forward, poach volleys down the home stretch of that third. Uh, third set breaker. He was able to do so. Smart call off of Siegmund on an overhead ball that Siegmund was going to let drop. Zverev said, no, let me take this as an overhead, set up an easy one-two combo for the two of them. It was a really good double. It was 7-6-6, six, six, and you know, again, Zverev and Siegmund were down 5-3 in that opening set. They take the first 7-6. Then the Australians extend the match with the 7-6 set. Again, we go past 10-0. That's win by one. Both teams have match points down the stretch of that third set breaker. Things get a little tentative. But then again, shout out to the team. Always down match point. Finding an extra gear. Ebden hits this remarkable overhead at one point. Uh, essentially from the baseline falling backwards to extend uh, that third set breaker. It was a really good tennis Sudden death mixed doubles is the best sort of doubles. It was just so thrilling. Ultimately, Germany able to advance. Where again, it's going to be a fun match. Zverev has to be the favorite over Hercots, despite coming off the loss against Demon Hour. I thought Demon Hour's level, even though Hubie's playing well, I think Demon Hour's level higher than anything I've seen from Hercots thus far. But Hercots is again having so much success behind his first serve. The question is, will he be able to match Zverev's? consistency and, again, that rally tolerance from the baseline. He did it against Manorino, but obviously a little more chutzpah coming behind the ball when it's from Sasha Zverev. lean Zverev there. I'll be surprised if Ega loses more than four games against Angelique Kerber, particularly coming off of a 7-6 third set affair. I think Iga's the heavy favorite. And then it comes down to mixed, man. And I'll tell you what, Zverev and Siegemund are real good. Laura Siegemund is so good. At doubles, just, I mean, again, she is as good as any player on either side of the net at the net, like just her ability to move when the moment calls for it, her looking for that move and pinching forward and putting a little pressure on the opponents, her ability to sense when Zverev has hit a ball with remarkable depth and kind of pinch in behind it, knowing when Zverev gets that backhand, okay, that's when I should look to close a little harder. At the same time, the totality of Iga and Hoopy, I mean, they're they can do everything out there on court they can move forward igas is again her ground strokes are going to be as good as any player on the courts period always and that backhand return is just going to hold up against even that sasha zverev 135 out wide pace you lean poland you have to just because Ega over kerber is the surest thing of any of the three ties and Give me the team that I know is going to be up 1-0 more broadly to take one of the other two. I'm picking Poland to win the United Cup, but I think that's going to be a 2-1 decision. And I think it's going to be really, really fun mixed doubles, the sort of stuff. Maybe set the alarm early just to see if it's still going on the East Coast. I know there was doubles going on late or early this morning, at least here on Saturday. So maybe you say, you know, I'll get up at 7. I'll go to the gym early here on a Sunday to set the tone, pick up bagels for the kids Catch the ending of this United Cup mixed doubles as well as, again, Poland-Germany. That's going to be a fun final that we will talk about more tomorrow. In the meantime, let's move on to our tour-level action. And in particular, let's start with Brisbane. Yeah, United Cup's going to be fun. But our lead on Sunday, or maybe it will be Monday, with Jeff Sackman, who will be joining us on Monday. I think I'm going to record a podcast tomorrow just to offer my thoughts. And then I think the Monday podcast with Jeff is going to be more overreaction-centric, just from... Week one more broadly, but I'm sure I'll do a Sabalanka-Rabakana segment multiple times here over the next two days. The point is, we got Sabalenka versus Rabakana. It's week number one of the season, and the world number two is playing the world number three. And by the way, the world number one is also still in action here on Championship Sunday. Top three players of the world all playing first Championship Sunday of the year. That, my friends, is what makes being a fan of the tennis world fun. Of course, this will be. Matchup number eight in the career head-to-head between Sabalenka and Rabakina. Sabalenka currently up 5-2 in those career head-to-heads. Beats Rabakina 6-2, 3-6, 6-3 in the Cancun Finals last year. Of course, Rabakina goes 2-2. Two and two overall with Sabalenka last season. Sabalenka winning their Australian Open final in three sets in that Cancun matchup in three sets. Rabakina straight set wins when they faced in the Beijing quarterfinals in October, as well, of course, as in that Indian Wells finals they faced off in March. It's power tennis at its finest. And yesterday, Sabalenka and Rabakina put ...on a clinic. And let's do the Rabakina match quickly because it was far more straightforward. Rabakina just had too much juice for Linda Neskova to hang with. Rabakina yesterday fights off all four break points that she faced, makes 75% of her first serves, won 80% of her first serve points, goes up an early break in that first set, never gives it away, goes again. Unbroken, on serve, obviously, throughout the duration of the opening set, but literally broke right out of the gates and was just the front runner the rest of the way. And as I anticipated in my preview yesterday... Noskova's just not quite quick enough in and out of corners to deal with someone with Robachna's pace quite yet. And yes, when Noskova was able to dictate, she was able to put some pressure on Elena Rabakina, particularly when she was able to land first serves. But Robachna pounced on second serves. When Robachna was able to get a ball deep into Linda Nascova's body, it was just really, really tough for Noskova to recover from those positions. And You know, again, once you give Rybakan an early break lead, now she can swing that much more freely. Now she's that much more dangerous when she's the front runner. She has played elite power tennis so far this week. Has only faced, you know, hasn't faced a top 20 opponent yet, but hasn't been pushed to a 7-5 set yet either. Straight sets over Gadaseki, Mertens, Potapova, Noskova. You see I'm still struggling with the Gadaseki pronunciation. But again, three straight set victories. She's dropped a total of six, seven, uh, 12 games in seven sets of tennis. And by the way, she's yet to be broken on serve. She's fought off all 11 of the break points that she's faced. That's elite power tennis. That's what she's playing. She's fit. She's focused. She has been dominant. Dominant. None of her opponents have pushed her, and I would have liked to see a healthy and perhaps fresh Podapova face her in those quarterfinals. But again, Podapova coming off of that physical three-setter against Kudermatova never had a chance against the weaponry of Robakina. Again, she was just able to get the ball into the body of Noskova, particularly on the forehand wing, and then. Because of the pace of the Rabakina serve, Noskova, who does such a good job of short hopping serves and being the aggressor, holding her return position on the baseline, you can't do that against Elena Rabakina. Just the first step for Noskova wasn't where it needs to be to deal with this degree of power. Rabakina was just too good. Overwhelmed. They're three and two, deserving spot in the finals again. She has been dominant, as has her opponent, Arena Sabalenka. And I'll tell you what, the match scoreline might have been closer. Sabalenka two and four over Victoria Azarenka. Sabalenka was the better of the two players yesterday. Sabalenka was fucking sorry. It slipped out. I forgot we didn't have Westoff. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. The level that. I'll, I'm just gonna swear because I need to get it. It was fucking ridiculous. It was. It was just incredible because, in particular, she did something I had never seen her do before. And by the way, I teased the Ega stat. I forgot to give it Ega yesterday. Comes back four six six four. Excuse me, four six six one six one over Garcia. Last season, Iga goes 5-9 and nine after dropping the first set. Since the start of 2022, Iga Sviantek, 16-16 overall when dropping the first set in her matches. So even if you go up a set to love against Iga, you still only have a 500 shot of beating her. That's crazy. By the way, she's only lost 32 first sets since the start of 2022. Also crazy. She is 16-16 and 16 now overall when dropping the opening set. Drops her first set of the season, obviously, here against Garcia, and now has won two straight matches from a set down. Both happen to be against Garcia, But again, 16 and 16 overall, you got a 500 shot even if you win the first set. That's a crazy statistic for Iga Sviantek. On the Sabalenkov side of things, what did I see her do for the first time I had never seen yesterday? Did you see her on the run forehand pass, full sprint, flick of the wrist, down the line pass, Azarenka so surprised that ball came back that she short hops and doesn't land the little backhand half volley on-the-run magic from Marina Sabalenka. She's not just striking the ball as well as any human we have on the planet right now. She's moving as well as she ever has. She's been broken once so far this week and has fought off 9, 12, 12 of the 13 break points that she's faced. She's, oh, excuse me, she's been broken twice, so she's fought off 11 of the 13 break points that she's faced. She's won over 77% of her first serve points in all the matches that she's played. The double fault percentage, again, it's under... She hasn't double faulted more than four times in any of the matches that she's played so far this week, which speaks to just again the first serve, which has gotten consistently better first match this week she made fifty seven percent of her first serves fifty seven point four in match number two sixty two point three in match number three last night she made two thirds of her first serves she's amping up she is getting better and better she just She out hit Azarenka. There was nothing, there were moments, go watch the highlights on the WTA uh, YouTube channel. They are worth watching a really fun five minutes if you didn't get the chance to catch this full match. Vika was striking the ball brilliantly. Vika was putting pressure on Sabalenka and Sabalenka just redoubled any pressure that was applied to her. And just again, any ball that came at Sabalenka with pace came back with even more fury I mean, she was finding the line so brilliantly. She was just striking everything perfectly. I just, she played elite tennis last night. Both, our has been broken this week. And I still think Sabalenka is playing the better of the two right now. They're playing elite power tennis. It's the two best we have at this level of, uh, the two best we have at this, form of the game, at this style of the game. Obviously, you guys know my thoughts on Iga. I'm not saying Rabakina and Sabalenka are the two best players in the world. I am saying they are the two best pure power tennis players in the world, and we get to see them go head-to-head in week number one. World number two versus world number three. I'm going to take Sabalenka just because I think she's moving that much more. I think she has been tested in a way that Rabakina just hasn't been yet because, again, yes, Nuskova has pace. It's not Sabalenka pace. Yeah, Mertens, I mean, Mertens, again, it doesn't have the weapon to hit Rebakina off-center of the first-round matches versus a Sabalenka, who has faced a Nazarenka, a Kasichina, even a Juleen, and it's just to overwhelm them all. I think, I'm think i just taking Sabalenka. I just am. It's an eye-test thing. I think she's just playing a little bit better right now. I think she has more ways to hurt Rabakina than vice versa. I think she's a little bit more fluid in the corners, a little bit more comfortable. Well, they're both pretty sound volleyers. I just think Sabalenka looks to move forward more frequently. Rabakina looks to finish you with that first forehand, I would say, more effectively. Sabalenka, more comfortable putting things away with a first volley. Not that Rabakina can't do it. I just think Sabalenka's a little bit better at it. They're both outstanding players. I'm going to take Sabalenka. I hope we get three sets. Again, this is probably your best match. Not probably. This is your best match of Championship Sunday. World number two versus world number three against Sabalenka. 5-2 in the career head-to-head. 54% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. And 2-2 two and two when these two faced off last season. All on hard courts. That's the Brisbane final. The Auckland final is really fun as well. Two top 25 players going head-to-head. Svitolina taking on Goff. Let's start on the Coco Goff side of things. Oh my God, was she excellent in her 3-1 and victory over Emma Navarro yesterday. She wins 93% of her first uh, serve points, fights off both break points that she faced. And more than anything, I don't think I've ever seen her hit the forehand so freely and so easily, just ex- win on a hard court surface. Even compared to her run last year to the U.S. Open final, there was just a little bit more offensive intention behind every forehand that she hit. It felt like the backswing had a little bit more racket speed. She was coming through it that much more quickly with that much more strength behind it. The action she was putting on that ball was stunning. She was driving it through the court so exceptionally well. She just overwhelmed Emma, who was playing really good tennis. I have never seen Emma Navarro hit that gear of aggression because Emma realized, okay, I'm not going to win the track meet. I'm not going to out consistent Coco. I'm not going to be able to find her forehand with enough pace and depth consistently enough that I'm going to get these free errors. And by the way, if Emma left anything short, as I just alluded to, Coco was absolutely unloading forehand cross, backhand line, whatever she wanted in her aggressive playbook was available to her yesterday. So Emma said, all right, I'm going to start swinging freely. I'm going to come over my backhand more success, uh, more frequently and try to drive through it, perhaps even down the line with more success. I'm going to have to swing through every forehand and try and change direction with it. And again, really drive it cross-court to put some pressure on that golf forehand. Emma did that successfully. Like, that match was far closer than the 6-3-6-1 scoreline. The points were far more competitive. It wasn't just golf Easy plus-one success. But Goff was just one shot better at everything. And again, I've never seen her generate offense so easily on this surface with her forehand alone. Not, not just as a plus one, but a mid-rally forehand, just turning on it. Goff has looked elite. And again, I'm taking the L. Jeff Sackman was absolutely right. Like his tennis abstract forecast was correct. Goff now 46 and 16 in her last 52. That is incorrect. That doesn't include this year. She is now 50 and 14 over her last 52 weeks of play. 50 and 16, excuse me, over her last 52 weeks of play. You look for her since the start of her run in Washington, so during this hardcore stretch, right? Since losing to Sonia Kennan uh, at Wimbledon in round number one, she is now a grand total of 28 and four. She's 28 and four over this hardcore six-month stretch. Losses to Pegula twice, Sviantek twice. That's it. Those are her only two losses, two losses to top 25, uh, excuse me, two losses to two of the five best players in the world. That's the only players who have beaten Coco Goff, and you learn, look during this stretch of time in her victories, she lost one set to, uh, to Ika, a set to Wozniacki, a set to Mertens, a set to Sabalenka, a set to Martic, and a set to Vandrusova, so in her 28 victories, she's lost just six sets, that's what, 56-6. and six in those 28 victories you look overall what she's 56 and 10 56 57 and 8 57 and 8 57 and 8 in her last 65 sets come on now that's ridiculous she's 19 years old 57 and 8 in her last 56 sets 28 and 4 overall into another final in Auckland where she should be the heavy favorite over Svitolina yes yeah, Svitolina 1 and 0 in the career head to head but I don't know how much gas is left in the tank for Svitolina, who had a rough draw uh, to get to this final. Yeah, uh, you know, by ranking, the names aren't the biggest, but Wozniacki obviously playing top 50 level tennis. I talked about Radakanu's level in those first two sets. She was playing, I thought, her best tennis since the U.S. Open in 2021, and Svitolina able to grind her way through in three there 0-3 over Bojkova, but she was down 3-1, love 40 in that second set. And now from a set down, 2-6-6-4-6-3, she knocks out the big hitting lefty, Wang Shiyu. And look, Wang Yu's weapons were overwhelming, Svitolina, in set number one, who looked a little stiff, who just wasn't moving the way she needed to, to absorb those body blows Wang Yu throws at you. But then she got Shiyu stretched to the outer thirds. Shiyu kind of played one loose game to end that second set, and then she just slowly but surely kind of ran out of gas down the home stretch of set number three. Now, the lefties' weapons are just real. They're top 50 weapons. I'm not sure how well she moves on the clay. I got to watch that. But on hard courts, this is unequivocally a top 50 player in one she you. And I look forward to her continuing to ascend up the rankings this year. And, you know, again, we are going to have three top 50 top Chinese players, I think, by the end of the year. In Jung Chinwen, who's 21 years old. Wang Xinyu, of course, 34 years old. uh, 34 in the world, 22 years old. You have Zhu Lin already, by the way, 29 years old, 33 in the world. So you're going to have four top 20, four top 50 have to leave it all in. Four top 50 Chinese players in the WTA top 100 singles rankings. Wang Shiyu uh, right now at 62, 22 years old. I wonder when the last time that happened was. I don't know if it ever has. By the way, 25-year-old Yuan Yua currently 73 in the world. Might there be a world where there are five top 50 Chinese women in the top 50 of the singles rankings? That I cannot imagine has ever happened before. It's got to be one of those small storylines to keep an eye on this year. One of those observations you get on a Saturday here on the Mini Break Podcast. Anyways, I just think Goff physically, she just has, again, she's fresh going into this. She hasn't been pushed. She's dominated. The most games she's given up in a single match thus far, six games, and that was in her opening match against Claire Liu. Four and two, three and oh, one and one, three and one. I just don't know if Sitalina has enough gas left in the tank to play with this sort of aggression you have to play with point in point out shot in shot out if we learn anything about that Navarro match uh to hang with Coco Goff right now. I think Coco Goff is going to defend her Auckland title and I think she's going to do it pretty convincingly as well. Again, that's your action on the WTA side of things. Worth noting I think I mentioned this yesterday, but Nuria parizas Diaz did knock out Harriet Dart four and three to win that Canberra 125k. So shout out to Parises Diaz who with the win uh, back up to number 107 in the live rankings harriet dart back up to 114 in the live rankings they'll have some momentum going in to australian open qualifying rounds which we'll start talking about next week i'm going to bring in our guy damian coos to do so as well in the meantime let's talk men's side of things you look in brisbane it's going to be number one versus number two in terms of the seeds at this event and Honestly, in my opinion, you do have a top eight matchup here in Holger Runa versus Grigor Dimitrov. I know Runa struggled down the stretch or in that middle third or middle, that third, fourth of the 2023 season, but he was a top eight guy the first half of the year. And to see him play this well on hard courts out of the gates, outdoors, a surface where he's probably had his least amount of success on, because he hasn't made a Wimbledon quarterfinal. Obviously, he's had a ton of clay court ex- success as well. To see him advance as comfortably as he has this week, even when being tested. But he tested, but never pushed, if that makes sense. Or pushed, but never tested is the better description. Wins over Purcell, Shevchenko, Duckworth, and now his best win of the week, 4-6 and six over Roman Cefuelin. Holger played it elite. He played really, really well throughout the course of this match. Went up an early break in sets one and two. Now, Seth Fuelin raised his level, raised his aggression in set number two to get that break back, uh, ultimately force a second set breaker. But then it was a clean sheet, a 7-0 second set skunk in the breaker for Holger Runa to advance to this hard court final. And you look, by the way, for Holger Runa in his career. Yes, I'm aware he has now made overall, you look, one, two. Let I me mean, let me give it a quick count. For all of you listeners, he's made now uh, nine different finals at the tour level in his career. This is his fifth on hard courts. It's his first outdoor hard court final, first outdoor hard court final for the 20 year old Runa, who, again, the previous four Paris Masters, Basel, Stockholm, Sofia, all indoor events. It's a big thing to get off the chest and again, to get five, five, excuse me, four top 75 wins this week or to beat guys who honestly you're going to have to play to make the round of 16 at the Australian Open to get a real – simulation of week number one. That's what I'm saying. That's what this draw has been for Hogaruna. You could have to face three guys exactly like this. A Sifulin in round number three, you know, again, as you move towards the ending of the week, but guys like Duckworth, Shevchenko, Purcell are very possible to be round one or two opponents for a Hogaruna who's going to be a top 10 seed in Australia. Got to simulate week number one this week, playing four matches, having success in all of them, being pushed a couple of times to three sets, but... The backhand cross was so good for Holgeruna in this match. And he relied on his physicality, which is something he didn't do as much of in 2023 as he was working to develop the plus one gear. But I think now his plus one forehand is very proficient. I trust Holger to find easy opportunities for himself with his serve, his plus one combo, his success. And he has very soft hands. He is a good volleyer, even if sometimes he doesn't make the smartest choices while at the net. But instinctually, he knows what he is doing when he gets up there and he has the capability to hit any volley in his playbook. I like his plus one game. He's coming in obviously fresh fit he hit his backhand cross again he just beats Safullan straight up backhand cross even when Safulin was driving the ball so brilliantly. I love that he mixed in some slice as well that to, to just prevent Safulin from striking the ball cleanly because you have to find a way to get the ball out of Safulin's strike zone to make him uncomfortable at all. Runa just did a little bit of everything, and he out-physicaled And I was really impressed. 20-year-old played top 10 tennis last night. He is into the finals where he's going to have a top 10 threat. I know right now Grigor Dimitrov currently sitting at 13 in the rankings, but Grigor Dimitrov has played elite tennis I went over the statistics and you know again it's a final for Dimitrov who by the way is still looking for his first ATP title since the tour finals back in 2017 he hasn't won a tour title in six years six years that's the longest streak that we don't talk enough about the opportunity to end that streak which is something I will be tweeting out immediately following this podcast. But look, Grigor was excellent last night against Jordan Thompson. Again, always in command, a six-three-seven-five victory, fights off all six break points that he faces. And for the week, he's fought off, I think it's, what, eight plus eight is 16. He's fought off 14 of the 16 break points that he faced, but both of his breaks uh, came in his opening match against Andy Murray, ultimately a three-set victory. of his first serve points last night. His serve, his plus one, was just locked in. He's moving so well in and out of corners. Everything was played on his terms. He baited Jordan Thompson into just Hit, falling into all of his patterns, trying to test Dimitrov. You know, when T- Thompson was stretched wide on the forehand line, Thompson tried to bail out by attacking that Grigor Dimitrov backhand. Couldn't do that last night. Dimitrov swinging through his backhand so purely must have hit that backhand cross-court ripped winner to the wide open space at least five different times. Again, when you hang something on his forehand wing, he's just going to beat you to the spot. He's spot serving so extraordinarily well. The ace percentage, over 14% in all four of his matches thus far. What does that mean? It means he's hitting eight. Nine, ten aces per match, and you give yourself that many free points. Again, a three and five match where you go unbroken on serve—that's going to be the difference. Grigor Dimitrov has cruised into this final. It's going to be fun. Him and uh, Holger one and one in the career head to head. Dimitrov, the sixty-two point seven percent favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Again, you'd love, you'd love to see Dimitrov end his streak. Dimitrov hasn't been pushed yet by someone Holger Runa's level. And to Holger's credit, he at least has faced a Roman Sefulin, who is playing top 20, top 25 hardcourt level tennis right now. Dimitrov's beaten Hijikata, Eltmeyer. Okay, faced Murray in round number one. That was a real match. That's not fair. That was a high level from Murray, although physically Dimitrov was able to pull away down the home stretch in a way he just won't against someone as fit right now as Holger Runa. I mean, Runa's got the plus one prowess to provide some pressure on Dimitrov. Runa is going to have the backhand discipline. Anytime Dimitrov plays backhand slice, Runa will be fine driving that ball right back down into the throat of that Dimitrov backhand. Again, Dimitrov is going to face a real top 10, top 20 test here. And he's 6-7 and seven against top 20 opponents since the end of May last season. 9-9 nine and nine against the top 20. 6-7 against top 10. 9-9 nine nine against the top 20. It's another crack at a top 10 opponent. Grigor wins this match. He has to be on that dark horse list of guys who maybe not win the Australian Open, but maybe just get to a semi-final. Holger wins this. He's probably already on your list, but it's just confirming he is here to play this season. This is the match I think I'm more certain that Sabalenka is going to beat Rabakina than I am about this one. This one I'm uncertain about because Dimitrov's just been in control and everything's been in such rhythm for him over these past couple of matches. How does he handle the disruption and the totality of things that is Holger Runa? Can his serve, his forehand as a weapon, be enough to disrupt Runa's rhythm? I don't think the answer to that question is yes. Right now, I think Holger's playing that well. I would lean Holger in three sets. But again, tennis abstract says Dimitrov, 62.7% favorite. I think that's too big of a number. I would lean more Runa but it's going to be a really good match. Again, one of my favorites we have on a jam-packed championship Sunday. And of course, we've also got the Hong Kong final, which is going to be really fun as we've got the Battle of the Ruse, Emil Rusevori taking on Andre Rublev. Rusevori has played some ball this weekend. I mean, he was hitting, I've never seen him hit his backhand line as well as he did against Ofner yesterday in a 4-6, 7-5, 6-3 win. And Look, I've long been a proponent of Emil Roussevori's game. Watch him clock forehands and tell me that guy doesn't have a spot in the top 25. That's just an elite weapon that will work against anyone. But when he's leaning into the backhand down the line as well as he was to just open up everything else and hitting his forehand inside out, I don't know how he finds some of these angles. you got to whip out the protractor to measure them. He's serving well. He's moving well. He's fit. He's focused. He's healthy. The thing is, we've seen Rusevori come out of the gates like this before. You look for Emil Rusevori in his career. He is now into his second career tour-level final. The first one came in India, in Pune to start the 2022 season. Now, again, he hasn't made a final in over a year, and over two years, really. It's a great start for him this season and gets him back into the top six. He's actually up to number 50 now in the live rankings, 13 off his career high, but certainly feeling good as you head into the Sunshine Swing I mean, again, that was a really good win for Roussevori over a very much informed Seb Oefner, who, by the way, 37 in the world. That's a new career high in the live rankings. So Fuelin's at 36. That's a new career high in the live rankings as well. Arthur Fee, 35. That's a new career high in the live rankings. That's a fun group right there, stuffed in the mid-30s. But Roussevori's playing. He, he, if he's this fit and this focus, he can absolutely make the fourth round of the Australian Open. And I hate to keep using this name, but like beat a Pass or... Maybe beat one of the Americans who we just haven't seen that much from thus far. Beat anyone in that group of higher seats that aren't named Casper Rood or the top four guys because Cas or Demon Hour because both Casper and Demon Hour played that well in United Cup that right now they've earned that benefit of the doubt for me, at least in week number one. Anyways, Andre Rublev can go about earning that benefit of the doubt. Certainly looked better down the home stretch after just getting out hit by Jerry Shung, who gets an early break over Rublev, holds on to it. 6-4, he takes that opening set, but then, again, Rublev's pace, his physicality just kind of wore Jerry Shung down, who ultimately just, he'd been pushed, he'd played so many, right, th- two, three hours, he spent six and a half hours on court in his first two matches. The straight set went over Tiafo, perhaps his easiest time on court, but now you're on match number four on your body and your face, and the most, uh, the complete, uh, the most complete package of, again, overwhelming ball and physicality as a mover in Andre Rublev. And it was just a little too much Rublev down the home stretch who had to be disciplined because Jerry just plays with elite pace. I mean, his ball striking from the baseline, the action on his forehand, his ability to drive it line with and slap it as well as go inside out with heavy topspin. Again, how deep... And the drive on his back end just stays low on you. It made even Andre Rublev uncomfortable in handling that pace when Jerry really connected with it. But again, looked like an 18 year old from a physical perspective playing in a fourth uh, match in significant condition, or in uh, just a fourth physical match that he just wasn't quite prepared for. Again, clearly, Jerry's highest level right now is already top 50. When will we see him in the top 100? That's a good question. He's up to a new career high, number 142 as a result of this week. But again, it's Rublev through to a final eighth consecutive year for Andre Rublev. He has made at least one ATP final in his career again needs to do more at majors before we talk Hall of Fame, but Hall of Very Good, you've already got yourself a spot. Andre Rublev, who thus far looks like he will be in the hunt to be a top eight player for a fifth consecutive year. For what it's worth, Rublev two and one in the career head to heads with Rusavori. Last time they played was Cincinnati last year, where Rusavori seven six five seven seven six win. Over Andre Rublev, they actually played twice last year. Rublev, a four-set win in the Australian Open second round where they faced off. So again, two guys who can hit the cover off the ball, pace versus pace on that forehand wing. If that's your undercard, if that's our fifth best final of a championship Sunday, again, that's why we had to get into it here today because it is going to be a fun championship Sunday to kick off the year and again just your follow-ups shout out Dom for three and two win at the Canberra Challenger over Jakub Menschik. he continues to consolidate his top 100 spot Arthur Kazo, the young Frenchman he's now up to new career high number 108 as the 21 year old wins the Challenger in Noumea in Nathaburi shout out to former Texas A&M All-American Val Vashiro he's your title winner unfortunately uh for those fans of Luca Puy, Puy forced to retire in that final. But Vashro now with the result up to a new career high, number 219 in the live ranking. Some confidence uh, heading into the start of his season. And then the Oueros final, it's going to be Max Kuznikowski taking on Gasto Elias, who always seems to have success whenever he's competing in his home country of Portugal. That said, again, we will be back tomorrow to offer you my thoughts on Championship Sunday. And then we'll overreact to it all with our dear friend Jeff Sackman on Monday as well. So stick with us throughout the course of the weekend if you are looking for updates on all things happening in the pro tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to offer these podcasts is because of the support I get from our dear super producer, Daniel Westoff and the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, four are fantastic super producer Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, that's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.